What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 171 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, the election fraud conspiracy theory engine episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Julian Field, and Travis View. During an upcoming Christmas family gathering, you may be forced to listen to a distant relative explain why the election was stolen from Trump by a conspiracy involving China, Venezuela, George Soros, and Dominion voting systems. At that point, perhaps you'll want to find somebody to blame for your family's interest in the election fraud conspiracy theories that never seem to end. You're in luck, because in today's episode, we're talking about a Texas-based intel agency called ASOG. For the past three years, ASOG has worked to convince political candidates and the world at large that American elections are hopelessly compromised. While they worked in the shadows for most of that, they finally hit the big time when their theories were embraced by people in Trump world and were used in Sidney Powell's Kraken lawsuits. To guide us through the world of dedicated election truthers, Travis has interviewed the former vice president of cyber operations for ASOG, Joshua Merritt, although you might know him by his codenames Spider or Jekyll. We'll also be joined by Twitter user Get Innocuous, who goes by Trapezoid of Discovery as well. He's been researching Stop the Steal efforts for about the past year, and his research skills have helped unmask one of the key players on Twitter and uncovered new information about the famous pro-coup PowerPoint that made its way to the White House and Congress. Before I get into the meat of our episode today, I want to acknowledge that uh, a lot of the coverage about January 6th is starting to run into the Gorpman Bleemer problem, as I, mm-hmm. I, I've seen some journalists call it. So this is named after a classic article from the satire site Clickhole, which is headlined, Legal Bombshell. Mueller flipped Trump's confidence lawyer's friend's associate Gorfman, who could testify against Bleemer. And it's not even lunchtime. Great work. Yeah, it's a very funny classic. And, uh, you know, that 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 article highlighted an issue during the sort of the Mueller investigation and coverage that it seemed like, you know, there was this huge cast of characters that you had to follow Mm -hmm. in order to understand what the hell was going on. And every new report about someone in this cast of characters was treated like some sort of bombshell. Yeah. And we're only one you're into this. Imagine if it lasts as long as Russia game. I know. Holy fuck, we've only met the beginner's cast. This is season one, baby. <laughs> yes, these are the, the intro characters. We'll probably forget about them by next year. Like, <laughs> yeah. for example, like in like 2017, I remember, uh, you know, breathless reporting about Trump associate Sam Clovis. Do you remember Sam Clovis? Of course not. Of course. Why the fuck would I put any of these names in my fucking brain? I, I'm going <laughs> to keep Gorpman and Bleemer in my mind instead. That's right. I bet I, I deleted cherished childhood memories from my brain just so I could absorb information about who Sam Clovis was at the time. So much wasted mental energy. But unfortunately, the people responsible for this world that we live in are are just an ensemble of damaged weirdos. So I will be talking about a strange cast of characters who helped convince the majority of Republicans that elections can't be trusted. And that cast of characters includes a failed politician who wanted to LARP as a spy, a pro surfer who went full QAnon, a QAnon blogger and podcaster from North Dakota who fakes having advanced degrees, and a retired army colonel who was recruited by General Michael Flynn to push election fraud theories. 
So let's just start off with the recent news that Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows handed over a bunch of documents to the January 6th committee. One of these documents is an email he received on January 5th that included a PowerPoint presentation that basically provided guidance on how to keep Trump in office. The PowerPoint contained talking points that were actually just fever swamp conspiracy theories. These theories included that the, the Chinese systematically gained control over the election system and this constituted a national security emergency. Uh, the document also claimed that all electronic voting machines were compromised and can't be trusted to provide an accurate count. Um, you know, after, you know, like a year of lawsuits and recounts and audits that did not uncover anything nefarious, I think we can safely say that these claims of like massive fraud that just so massive that swayed the election uh, just aren't very substantial. Now, the fact that this sort of nonsense was circulating in Congress and the White House is alarming, but even more alarming is the recommended course of action in the PowerPoint. It suggested that Trump should handpick someone to mobilize the National Guard to do a recount of ballots in all 50 states. These ballots, according to that uh, PowerPoint, would be secured by U.S. Marshals. It suggests that support for this operation would be provided by the DOJ and the DHS. The PowerPoint also suggests three ways Pence could essentially hand the election over to Trump on January 6th. This is the famous Pence card that was touted in the run-up to, uh, to that day. The first option in the slide deck is that Pence seats Republican electors over the objections of Democrats in states where fraud occurred. So basically, we just there's a alternative electors who are Republican, and if the Democrats say, no, you're actually subverting the election, we'll say just too bad. That's, that's one option. The second option is that Pence rejects electors from states where fraud occurred, causing the election to be decided by the remaining electoral votes. So just say, canceled, your votes don't count, bye, and then just count the rest. And the third option presented is Pence delays the decision in order to allow for a vetting and subsequent counting of all the legal paper ballots. So just uh, say, just kick the can down the road until, I mean, could you imagine like if like on January 6th, Pence declared he couldn't move forward with verifying the election and the National Guardsmen roll out all over America in every district to acquire ballots that have been seized by U.S. Marshals. I would not feel good about that situation, but this is what they want to see happen. The January 6th committee also recently revealed that, quote, Meadows sent an email to an individual about the events on January 6th and said that the National Guard would be present to, quote, protect pro-Trump people and many more would be available on standby. Now, the exact context of this email wasn't provided, but I don't know. Very sounds very ominous. I love that they basically got all their agencies and they're like, just send us PowerPoints on how we could, you know, make this work the other direction. And they're just like <laughs> receiving these shitty unedited PowerPoints from like someone's fucking Pepe nephew. It's incredible. But the relevant question for me is how exactly did these fringe theories about election fraud make it all the way to the White House and Congress in the form of that PowerPoint and other avenues? A big clue comes in one line in the PowerPoint, which states, On December 5th, the ASOG forensics team examined the electronic voting systems in Antrim and observed overlapping subversions which led to their exposure. ASOG. So ASOG in that line refers to the Allied Special Operations Group. And their fixation on election fraud issues can be credited to ASOG official Russell Ramsland. He's one of the characters. This is, this is the bleamer. Allies. I love it. So the Axis is like what, the Dems? That sounds plausible. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, yeah. 
Now, ASOG is a private security and intel company founded in June of 2017 by former DIA officer uh, named Adam T. Kraft. Now, before ASOG focused primarily on these election fraud stuff, uh, the company was envisioned as a one-stop shop for government and corporate clients seeking cybersecurity, physical protection, and sophisticated open source intelligence services. It's like the CIA and Secret Service for hire, you know? Great. I think we should have more companies like this. So this is a clip from a 2018 promotional video for ASOG. The government attempts to protect U.S. borders and regional first responders may try to help in an emergency. But how can you protect your family, your business, and your money when they can't help in time of crisis at home or abroad? Introducing ASOG, Allied Special Operations Group. ASOG is a group of highly trained professionals who have seen it all. From massive logistical problem-solving operations in combat zones to incredible private search and rescue missions that many of us only see in the movies. ASOG's team is comprised of military commandos, special intelligence operations agents, cyber intelligence geniuses, government engineers, and a team of lawyers. ASOG was assembled at the request of former officials in the U.S. government and is the only open network private intelligence collection corporation able to take direct global tasking. This plays like a PragerU educational video, just like kind of like weird off-center like animations. Maybe they paid somebody on Fiverr to do it. This does not seem like uh, a a, a sophisticated, uh, you know, intelligence and military private operation. No, it doesn't. But, uh, you know, this is this is like one of the early ads. It does seem very, very cheap. One of my favorite bits from that promotional video comes a few minutes later in it. Full spectrum business consulting and solution engineering in non-permissive environments. When someone says, I know a guy, he's talking about ASOG. We are that guy or girl. <laughs> <laughs> but but mostly guys. Yeah, I know. Incredible. I know. There's lots of things about that where where you're you're pitching yourself it's like when someone says I know a guy, we're that guy. It's like when you want to get rid of your wife. <laughs> they fucking resurrected the editor for Salad Fingers to do it. Russell Ramsland joined ASOG early on, and before he worked with them, he was a businessman and failed political candidate. He uh, failed to make it past the Republican primaries for a congressional race in 2016. According to Joshua Merritt, Ramsland had a romanticized view of intelligence work to the extent that he drove around in an Aston Martin James Bond style. The world is but a LARP. Yeah, everything's a fucking LARP. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I feel like the image of intelligence work like being like cool and sexy is destroying the world or has destroyed the world. We need like a PR campaign to make it, uh, you know, make it seem more boring and frustrating and not cool at all. We need, we need more, uh, you know, burn after reading in the world. Yeah. We need more like, um, like Inspector Clouseau. We need, um, enemy of the state with Will Smith where he like easily outsmarts the intelligence agencies in like the first 15 minutes of the film and it ends. (laughs) I've seen that movie. Ramsland has always been a bit of a conspiracist. Uh, For example, in a 2017 talk to the Park City's Preston Hollow Leadership Forum in Dallas, he claimed that the rise of Nazi Germany can be credited to the Muslim Brotherhood and Antifa, which I don't think is a position that any historian takes. So the Muslim Brotherhood becomes really important in this whole little deal going on here. So now we got the Muslim Brothers and we got UBC. The anti-fascists came in, Antifa, name you recognize? Antifa starts back here. 
it was those who claimed to be anti-fascists. They were very, very useful to the Nazis because the Nazis, in order to take over, needed to create mayhem and violence in the street. And they had the brown shirts, but they had to have somebody to beat up on or to beat up on them. And so they actually encouraged some of the socialists and the communists and stirred up issues there so that they could have really important street fights. And eventually Germany got so tired of all of this that they just wanted order. And when people are overcome with just collapse of society like this, they often turn to strong leaders. And in this case, it was Adolf Hitler. So that's how the hard left got involved. <coughs> Oh, yeah. All those strong men on the hard left. Well, the, in America, I mean, you have what? Bernie Sanders? What a hard-ass man. A lot of people think of him that way. Just a hard lad. So what I see here is that apparently the Nazis, they were the Harlem Globetrotters, and uh, they needed an enemy. <laughs> and they, in the form of Antifa, they were just the Washington generals. They needed uh, uh, someone to fight for the audience. And that's, that's why Antifa is, the, is uh, made Nazism. Imagine thinking that Antifa came before the Nazis. The Nazis rose as opposition to the anti-fascists. Absolutely. That's fan- That's great. That's a great retcon. Like, holy shit. ASOG and Ramsland really got activated in 2018 when Republicans suffered from midterm losses in Texas and elsewhere. Now, this was a pretty unsurprising development. Uh, usually, usually the opposition party, they have an advantage during the midterms. But Ramsland was convinced that these losses were due to fraud, and he worked to convince other Republicans of this as well. Starting in late 2018, Ramsland and his associates summoned conservative lawmakers, activists, and donors to meet in an airplane hangar in Addison, Texas. There, uh, the people who were assembled, they were shown alarming presentations on how compromised election voting systems are. According to reporting from the Washington Post, briefings in the hangar had a clandestine air. Guests were asked to leave their cell phone outside before assembling in a windowless room. A member of Ramsland's team purporting to be a white hat hacker identified himself only by a code name. And that white hat hacker is actually Joshua Merritt, who we'll be hearing from in a moment. But again, more, you know, spy LARPing. Ramsland's pitch to failed Republican candidates was that voting machine audit logs contained indications of vote manipulation. However, despite many pitches, he was unable to get a candidate to actually bring a legal challenge based on these claims. During this period, ASOG also briefed Kraken lawyer Sidney Powell and Representative Louis Gohmert. Another individual associated with ASOG during this time is a retired colonel named Phil Waldron, who specialized in psychological operations during his military career. According to a recent report from Reuters, Waldron said that Flynn drafted him to go public with uh, the election fraud claims, saying this, No one else can do it. It needs to be done. So go ahead and do it. Inspiring. Inspiring words from the general. <laughs> You boy, you're the last hope we have. By late 2019, ASOG's examinations had moved beyond audit logs. Among other claims, Ramsland was repeating the ominous idea that election software used in the U.S. originated in Venezuela. He said that nefarious actors could manipulate votes on a massive scale. Since Ramsland had a tough time getting candidates to act on his conspiracy theories, he decided to take his case public. He did this by appearing on the online show 
Economic War Room, hosted by Kevin Freeman. Ramsland actually admitted this in a panel by saying, quote, We finally decided that if we couldn't get the government to pay attention without public opinion and public pressure, the best guy to go to would be Kevin. So again, solving problems by posting. (laughs) At some point during this period, ASOG linked up with Conan Hayes, a pro surfer and founder of the surf brand Ruka, or R-V-K-A. Oh, yeah, they... Yeah, that's a very popular surf brand. It's, it's huge. It was sold. It's huge. <laughs> sold to uh, Billabong for tens of millions of dollars. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You find that shit in like um, like Pacific Sunwear. Do they still have Pacific Sunwear? I don't, maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> when was the last time you stepped foot in a mall? Uh, a couple days ago. Oh, okay then. I, I love malls, but I haven't, <laughs> no, I haven't seen a Pac Sun in a while. So I'm not sure if they're still around. Under the Twitter handle, We Have Risen, Hayes promoted QAnon as early as 2018. So here is Conan Hayes, a man who literally could use his wealth to spread, spend uh, you know, the rest of his life doing anything he wanted, like surfing, for example. And instead, he makes a Twitter account and he posts and he travels the country trying to uh, attempt to prove the election was stolen. You know, sometimes when I think that maybe there's more to life than posting, there's this guy. Who uh, decides to spend his time posting? And like, you know, Elon Musk, who could do anything besides post, but decides to post. Seems like no matter how much you have, there's nothing better than posting for some. Not me. Mm. As soon as I as soon as I uh, become as rich as Elon Musk, I'm I'm actually buying Twitter and destroying it. Oh, as soon as you become the richest man on earth, I guess you'll never stop posting then. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'll. Maybe I could write the next great American screenplay. <laughs> maybe I could write the new generation's version of Avatar. Okay, you never know. Just become so wealthy that I buy Twitter. Yeah. And destroy and and launch it in a rocket into the sun. Or maybe you could get terribly hurt in a merry-go-round accident. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> One of the two. Through ASOG's attempts to prove election fraud, they also met up with a blogger, podcaster, and streamer who goes by the name Terpsichore Morris Lindemann, who is better known online as Tori Says, or sometimes just Tori, or even just Tor. According to reporting, she has a history of exaggerating her resume and expertise. For example, her profile on Together We Serve, which is an online veteran community, uh, it stated that she reached the rank of lieutenant, served in combat zones of uh, Kosovo, Afghanistan, and Iraq, and served in the Office of Naval Intelligence and was awarded multiple medals, including a Purple Heart. According to a Washington Post investigation, she did serve in the Navy, but for less than a year and more than two decades ago. She told the Post that she didn't know who created the now-deleted profile, if that's what, uh, if you want to believe that. Of course, I, yeah. I've, just a fan. I love to have fans of my military record. Right. Who 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 created this profile on this on this website? And talked about how awesome I am. Who was it to be? Who could who could pot? Why would you think that? I can't help people from thinking that I'm awesome. It says I killed a bear at the age of three. <laughs> In a recent civil fraud case, attorneys for the state of North Dakota said that Tory falsely claimed to be a medical doctor and to have both a PhD and an MBA. They said that she used multiple aliases and social security numbers and created exaggerated online resumes of part of what they called a persistent effort to deceive others. Tori has also appealed to the QAnon community on her Twitch streams. Uh, sometimes the O in her Tori says username is is replaced with a Q, and she uses the slogan, where we go one, we go all. Now, this is quite a motley crew. 
But uh, somehow, they uh, got powerful people to pay attention to their election fraud claims. As the 2020 election approached, Ramsland privately briefed GOP lawmakers in Washington and met with officials from the Department of Homeland Security. After Trump's election loss, ASOG Associates became crucial to pushing narratives about election fraud. When Sidney Powell filed her doomed Kraken lawsuits in an attempt to overturn the election, she relied on affidavits from Russell Ramsland, Tory, and of course, our guest today, Joshua Merritt. In Merritt's affidavit, he was supposed to be anonymous, but due to some redaction errors, his uh, his name came out and was published in the Washington Post, which I, I sympathize with. I know what that's like. <laughs> Russell Ramsland made some ludicrous errors in his affidavit by mistaking staking the locations in Minnesota for Michigan jurisdictions and falsely claiming that voter turnout in Detroit was 139.29%. So he made, he just totally made mistakes. And, but you think that like after years of working on this, he would like, you know, know how to calculate voter totals, some really basic, basic, basic uh, ways to figure out what's going on in uh, the voter rolls. But um No, never quite acquired that skill. Colonel Phil Waldron is responsible for the post-election conspiracy theory that the Army seized German election servers from a company called Seidel. Now, the truth is that Seidel wasn't raided. They don't even have offices in Germany. Doesn't make sense. According to reporting from Reuters, this story was sparked on November 8th, 2020, when Phil Waldron spoke on the phone with Representative Louis Gohmert. Waldron said that he told Gohmert that he had tracked internet traffic that was routed through a server in Frankfurt, Germany. He claimed, baselessly, that these votes could be rerouted. Waldron also says that Gomert immediately called Trump with this information. Gomert and a lot of other pro-Trump people pushed the, this nonsense on Twitter, and actually four days after uh, Gomert had that phone call with Waldron, Gomert was on Newsmax telling the host that the army had seized the Seidel server. This is just so wild. It just sounds like a bunch of people who don't know how to interpret data, who are LARPing as security analysts, you know, misinterpret something, believe that that, that they're the ones who are going to save the world and rush and tell everybody. And meanwhile, you have these GOP, like, you know, idiots who everybody in the world is telling them that they lost. And so they're looking for the one fucking Twitter account that's like, no, you didn't actually. There is a secret raid. Or like, oh, you didn't. There's like fraud here. And it's like, oh, oh, oh that's the truth. The, the thing that I... I, that I already believe. But uh, Seidel, uh, th- that's a place where all of this information was cycling through. Not supposed to, but it was. And actually, there was a uh, German that, as I was told, there was uh, a tweet in German from Germany that the U.S. Army had gone in and seized the Seidel server. They're going through bankruptcy right now. <laughs> I read a tweet. It was in a different language, but when it was translated to me, uh, it said that, yeah, our forces were there. Now, I work in government, but I don't know anything about that, where our forces might be, where a server farm might be. It might be in Germany. It might not be. But this was not the end of the German server saga. According to the book Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show by John Carl, this conspiracy theory eventually made its way to Sidney Powell, who called Trump intelligence official Ezra Cohen-Watnick to request a special operations team to go to Germany and fix the situation. But Sidney Powell, apparently she had a, a big twist on him. 
Here's from that book. Ezra Cohen Watnick received a call from Sidney Powell, Flynn's former lawyer, who is now advising President Trump and, like Flynn, promoting some of the craziest theories about the election. Powell called Cohen with a bizarre request. Her request was specific, urgent, and highly sensitive. It was also completely insane. Quote, CIA Director Gina Haspel has been hurt and taken into custody in Germany, she told Cohen. You need to launch a special operations missions to get her. Cohen had never spoken to Powell and was shocked that she had called him at his direct phone line in his office. It's a phone that only rang with calls from within the Pentagon or from the White House, an unpublished number that somebody with access to the internal directory had to have given her. Powell went on to explain that Haspel had been hurt while on a secret CIA operation to seize a computer server from a company named Seidel. The server, Powell claimed, contained evidence that hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of votes had been switched using rigged voting machines. Powell believed Haspel had embarked on this secret mission to get the server and destroy the evidence. In other words, the CIA director was a part of the conspiracy. That's why Sidney Powell wanted Cohen to send his special operations team over to Germany immediately. They needed to get the server and force Haspel to confess. That's a, Net that's a Netflix series right there. Yes, that is exciting stuff. But what I love most about this story is like how it gets increasingly dramatic as it's retold. So according to Phil Waldron, he just told Louis Gohmert that uh, he found some internet traffic that's going through a server in Germany and then votes could be rerouted, whatever the hell that means. So this story in the hands of Gohmert somehow adds the seizing of a Seidel server in Frankfurt. And by the time it's rattling around in the brain of Sidney Powell, the CIA director has double-crossed Trump and was wounded in the secret mission to recover the server. <laughs> right, because everybody knows that when there's like a mission to go on, the CIA director, they get up out of their chair, they put on their flak jacket. It's like the scene in Commando where they're buckling all the straps yes. and cutting <laughs> the gun, all of that stuff. And, and you know, they, they put on full fatigues, face paint, and, and go in for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if this story is, uh, you know, totally true, it really shows that like Sydney Powell is both a, I guess, a grifter and a mark because she sounds like her, her brain is just mm. porous or, and she also like a, she's a fan of drama. She just buys into whatever the most insane bullshit that she hears and then takes it and then starts demanding special operations uh, because she believes it so much. Yeah, it's like they've already made the decision that this election was fraudulent or whatever, um, you know, or that the, you know, Biden somehow cheated. And and then basically any piece of information, whether it's through a game of telephone, whether they read it on Twitter, whether they read it on message boards, uh, whether somebody casually go goes, oh, yeah, I haven't heard from Gina in a couple days. I Yeah, I called her, but she didn't write me back or whatever. Then they're like, I wonder, I wonder, you know, maybe she's it just it just sounds like they are willing to latch on to any potential piece of information that confirms the story that they've already made up in their head. Waldron also takes credit for getting Rudy Giuliani on board with election fraud conspiracy theories. Of course, Waldron is the one who circulated that coup PowerPoint. He says that uh, prior to January 6th, he spoke with Mark Meadows, quote, maybe eight to 10 times and briefed several members of Congress. Waldron said he once briefed uh, Senator Lindsey Graham at the White House in the chief of staff's office with Rudy Giuliani present. And it's quite possible that the, that that PowerPoint was put together by Tory. Evidence of this can be found in a version of the PowerPoint that was uh, uncovered by our guest today, Get Innocuous. He found uh, a version that included a logo 
that said Kraken Intel and included an image of two silver bars, which is the uh, insignia for the rank of lieutenant in the Navy. So Tori often referred to herself as the Kraken and claimed to be a lieutenant in the Navy. So it's not 100% confirmed, but uh, it's possible that a QAnon-promoting podcaster was uh, heavily involved in making that PowerPoint. Is, does that claim include basically her kind of introducing the word Kraken to this entire thing? Well, no, no, not not introducing, but obviously, yeah, Kraken was also the the name that Sidney Powell gave to her her lawsuits. Yeah, okay, so she was just kind of playing on what Sidney Powell was asking for. Yeah, just sort of playing on. Yeah, she apparently on her podcast Tori refers to herself as the Kraken a lot. So that that means that like she didn't have a Kraken when she named that. She's just like, oh, I, I'm gonna. I just said I have a. We're going to release the Kraken. Better find a Kraken. Even after Trump left office, people associated with ASOG worked hard to cast doubt on the election. We saw this during the supposed uh, sort of forensic audit in Antrim County, Michigan. So uh, this was sparked when there was a controversy stirred up uh, during the election when a county clerk who was Republican briefly announced an incorrect preliminary vote count before issuing a correction that show that Trump actually won the county. Trump supporters seized on the error as evidence of widespread inaccuracies in the state's elections. Following a lawsuit by a local man, uh, the state allowed a team of expert witnesses to examine voting information in Antrim County's Central Lake Township. These expert witnesses included Russell Ramsland and Colonel James Waldron. As the Daily Beast reported, Conan Hayes was also on the ground for Antrim County. Uh, under the account We Have Risen, he tweeted pictures of what he implied were raw vote tallies and photos of a dissected Dominion voting machine. We also saw ASOG's influence during the uh, Mike Lindell Cyber Symposium. So if you remember, this is an event last August when Lindell summoned several cyber experts to a three-day streamed event that was supposed to show evidence of foreign vote manipulation. Like we discussed in episode 155, the symposium did not provide evidence of election fraud, and even Lindell's own cyber expert said that his data was worthless. It turned out that Lindell got a lot of bad data from a mysterious con artist named Dennis Montgomery. But ASOG and his associates uh, provided critical support to the symposium. Uh, Phil Waldron was the leader of the symposium's so-called Red Team, and uh, he also provided a pre-recorded video for the symposium, which delivers an apocalyptic message about the consequences of compromised elections. After the 2018 midterm elections, an investigation was launched to delve into irregularities in the U.S. election results. Detailed logs documented entries into the tabulation system for the election itself, and the team saw many anomalies in areas of extreme concern. Then in November 2020, multiple groups of concerned Americans came together because they all observed something incredible in the 2020 general elections. The groups united to launch a full-scale investigation led by former members of the U.S. intelligence community, the Department of Defense, NASA, the U.S. National Laboratories, private investigations and cybersecurity companies, and legal firms from around the country. The discoveries gained through intense forensic research left everyone involved deeply concerned about the future of our nation and our world. While the U.S. media will undoubtedly discredit this information as far-right conspiracy theory, the fact is the people involved in this investigation represent all colors, all creeds, and all political parties. To ignore this message is to surrender to a government takeover that will gravely affect the lives of every man, woman, and child of every nation.
really just weird, weird shit. It is weird shit. I gotta say, his, um, you know, the dramatic lighting is sort of lessened by the blue Yeti microphone in the corner. Just, just the, just the little silver bullet right yeah. there. Yeah, that's right next to Phil Waldron. Very strange. I can't tell these people are just kind of dumb and and just believe like believe this stuff because they're already like you know seventy five percent or hundred percent pilled anyways and and it just kind of uh, you know aligns with their natural worldview or if th- they know what they're doing is made up is wrong and they're like well it doesn't matter anyways like we could if we can convince people this then there will be public support for it and then we could you know we have a chance at, at overturning the election or whatever you know i mean my theory is that a lot of these people they believe what is what is empowering is what's true so they don't have this kind of epistemology where they have to find mm. a particular truth claim that corresponds perfectly to reality they find the truth claim that is most empowering for them. Uh, in this case, the, the 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 only reason that they're out of power is because the election's stolen, and they believe that's true. Because if that was true, that would make them that would give them leverage, that would give them power, that would allow them to do things. Right, and they're still the good guys fighting the bad, you know, fighting the bad guys. Our guest Joshua Merritt also participated in that symposium. Uh, he he told me in our interview that he worked to prevent the cyber experts from storming out of the event on day one because it was so transparently obvious even then that there was not anything worthwhile in that data. <laughs> It's like your job, all right, your job is to keep the people who actually know what they're doing here long enough to get pilled, if possible, and at least long enough to eat the lunch. We've we've ordered so much, so many sandwiches. I mean, yeah, he um he also went to the media and also told them the truth, which was that the, the data was worthless, um, which, it, of course, caused Mike Lindell to get very, very mad at Merritt, so, so he says, which, you know, surprising, surprising. Seems like a chill guy, Mike Lindell. <laughs> but basically, the fuel for, like, a lot of, maybe the majority of these baseless conspiracy theories about just massive election fraud over the past year can be attributed to Russell Ramsland and a group of people affiliated with this organization, ASOG. To try to get an inside look regarding what went on with ASOG, I spoke with Joshua Merritt yesterday. He was the vice president of cyber operations for that company. I asked him about his involvement with the Powell lawsuits, the cyber symposium, and the now famous PowerPoint presentation. One quick caveat before we go in, I can't verify everything that he claims. The biggest claim that Merritt makes is that Michael Flynn was subject to a FISA warrant that hasn't been reported anywhere and it would be big news if it were true. It was reported that Trump campaign staffer Carter Page was surveilled with a FISA warrant. I followed up with Merritt on that and I believe he is referring to the fact that Michael Flynn was unmasked in intelligence documents which transcribed Flynn's conversations with the Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak. Merritt also claims that Mark Meadows used campaign funds to purchase the encrypted messaging app Silent Circle through ASOG. This has not been reported anywhere. In her interview, Merritt also claims that starting in 2017, Vice President Pence and then Speaker of the House Paul Ryan were working on a plan to get rid of President Donald Trump. Uh, I can't independently verify that claim either. But despite those caveats, uh, I think Joshua Merritt's perspective is very valuable because he was there for basically all of the events we talked about in this episode. And I'm grateful that he took the time out of his day to speak with us. We are joined now by Joshua Merritt. He is an Army veteran, IT consultant, and founder of the cybersecurity firm CyberOptics. Mr. Merritt, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you for letting me uh, come on your show and I guess sort of spill the beans about all this craziness. So how did you wind up connecting with ASOG? 
when I was doing internship at um, at Cyber Defense Labs at UTD, uh, there was a gentleman there named Kevin Henson. He passed away in November 2019. Uh, genius of a man. He he was a computer scientist. He had worked at CERN. He was a physicist. Uh, we did a lot of work on inventions together, uh, optical processors. I worked on creating uh, a new version of binary. We'd done a lot of work together. And uh, I had just gotten done with college for my network system administration degree. And uh, he knew Adam Kraft. And Adam Kraft was the CEO of ASOL. He had served uh, in the Army, made it up to major, got medically retired, and then worked at DIA with Michael Flynn. Uh, so they started uh, ASOG, brought in uh, Russ Ramsland and Locke Neely. And first, the idea was to create a private intelligence company for civilian uh, families in Texas who have a lot of money, uh, whether it's business intelligence, whether it's um, red teaming. There was a lot of different type of uh, work that we had done. But then at uh, the midterms, we had gotten dragged into election fraud and voting fraud and started working in midterms on it. And then Russ actually took over ASOG, uh, and I stayed on until November of 2019 as the vice president of cyber operations. Uh, so I worked there two years since they started just running all of uh, cyber operations at the company. So was it like Russ's influence that really made it more focused on election fraud issues over like private security and intel issues? Yes. And there was a lot of contention between Russ and Adam over that because Adam did not want to get into that realm. And uh, Russ did. Uh, and that's been always sort of my question was, was he doing it to legitimately go after this or was it because of his own political because he had run for political office before uh, and got primaried out because he was running against Pete Sessions here in Texas. Um, so that that's always been something sort of in the back of my mind within that situation. Russ had most of his experience in oil and gas. Uh, that's how he had made his money prior to ASOG. Um, and I think at times Russ had this sort of uh, romanticization of Intel type work. You know, he he actually owned legitimately owned an Aston Martin and had kept a Walther PPK in the club box. <laughs> so real 007 stuff. Yeah. Right. And so I think that was, you know, one of those things that he sort of liked and why he wanted to get into things. And, uh, you know, the actual background stuff we worked on was some pretty crazy high speed stuff uh, for in this will be sort of a precursor to a lot of the election fraud. But there was one job that we had at ASOG that I actually made the company turn it down. Um, we had these two private investigators who brought in a, a packet and it had 25 Chinese nationals in it. Um, military, business people, bankers. And they wanted not just a dossier on them, but uh, the client, their client, had actually requested Black Hat Ops to go into their emails, to find out their travel patterns, where they were getting money from. Their, so the first, that's a, a sort of red flag to me because if someone's asking you like outright for you to do illegal stuff, either they're really bad people or they're plants trying to come in and set you up. And I started looking through the people and I was finding 
a lot of these people had addresses in the United States with like 10, 15 people. In. And that's sort of known within the Intel world as like a safe house. You know, if you've got all these people in a house, that's sort of a waypoint to hide your assets. So uh, the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. I, I thought and there's a term we use for it. It's called a knock list, a list of spies or double agents that an intel agency wants taken out. Um, so I turned down the job because I said it looked like a knock list. Um, and people within ASOG had actually taken it to the FBI and showed them, hey, this is, a, you know, this packet has a red stamp on it that says records protect, which is something that comes from the State Department. So somebody in the State Department was leaking this info. As part of the sort of this turn to sort of like focusing more on these uh, election fraud issues, you uh, took part in uh, meetings in a hangar in Addison that was uh, reported in the Washington Post, which some people who are interested in what uh, you and the, the company had to say about uh, supposed vulnerability in the election system. So, uh, you know, could you describe like, um, like what, what took place during these meetings? So when, after the midterms, um, we had Dr. Laura Presley and uh, a couple other individuals who came to us at ASOG and asked to help on the, the cyber research side. And really what it was, was sort of just understanding what information we were seeing from like server logs, because uh, they had gotten a copy of the server log now, in Texas, we don't use Dominion. Texas has refused to certify Dominion's uh, equipment in here in the state. So we use a company called ESNS, which is headquartered in Nebraska. So we started the investigation looking at uh, the server logs, looking into the companies, looking at their cyber infrastructure. I would, back then, I was able to do scans on their websites and sort of see not just their their front end, but also see the back end that was tied to those websites. Uh, and we helped on a couple of court cases having to do with ESNS here in, in Texas and specifically over in Dallas. And then uh, we also went and ended up doing work for Matt Bevins in Kentucky when he lost being the governor there. Uh, and that was whenever I was working at that, that was whenever I met Tor who is sort of a central figure now. Um, when we were at ASOG, we would give, because Russ was doing fundraising for our research on election fraud. So that's really the purpose for why we were doing those briefings. So we had business figures who came in, politicians. That was where I first met Sidney Powell, uh, Alan West. I got to meet uh, Herman Cain before he passed away. Um, we, we had a I think the main briefing that we gave, there were about 25 key figures that were at the conference room that was talked about on the Washington Post. So during this time, you were working anonymously, but through ASOG, you were introduced to Sidney Powell. And because your affidavit was included in the Sidney Powell lawsuit in, in the aftermath of the 2020 election, you were outed. So how did that go down? Well, the, so the backstory to that, I had done a number of videos on Kevin Freeman's economic war after after the midterms. I did not put my face on camera. Everything was filmed over my shoulder. And you can see pretty much it's all the same stuff that I talk about in my in my affidavits. And there are various reasons why I did not want to be public. I actually have a price on my head uh, because of going after bad guys. I've stopped terrorist attacks in other countries. Um, I've been involved in investigations in other countries.
countries. Uh, so I wanted to stay anonymous for safety of my family. And an individual who was tied to Kevin Freeman uh, actually saved my documentation under my name and had uploaded it to Sydney Powell's uh, website. It was literally up for three minutes before I called him and yelled and said, hey, take that down. It's under my name. And I, myself and some of the guys I work with, because I have uh, guys overseas that help me on some of the work that I do, they were all calling me saying, hey, you just got outed uh, by Sidney Powell for that document that got sent up uh, on the page. And uh, like I could watch Twitter and I could watch all of these Internet researchers just like form this huge balloon around me and everyone pull all this, you know, my company, cause I'm listed on uh, Dun and Bradstreet. I have my cage codes, all my other information. And they just like surrounded me in less than a day. And I just sort of laughed about it. I'm like, well, now that I'm out in front, now I, I had to switch my role. Um, but really the purpose behind it was to protect my family. And sadly enough in the, the whole string of events since November up to today, nobody on the left has threatened myself, my wife, or my children. No one on the left has been disrespectful, but the death threats and the disrespect have all come from people on the right. Um, so all of the stuff that went through court, I think um, a lot of it was there were a lot of people who were misrepresenting information. There were people who didn't understand the information. And I shouldn't expect a lawyer to to know how to explain cyber uh, problems, cyber issues. That's not their forte. However, um, when they were getting so many affidavits and coming in so many different directions, I don't think they vetted everything properly. And even to a certain degree, I became a victim of that because when I passed my information up, someone else created my my legal document because up until that point, I had never done legal documents. I just gathered data and passed it on and someone else would make those reports. Um, and so my intro ended up just being a verbal diction that I had given to somebody and it did not come out how I specified. So there were problems like that. There was no, um, in, in, in the Q world, everyone always goes on about uh, trust the plan. I hate to tell people there is no plan. There was no control. Uh, early on in the beginnings of uh, November 2020, December 2020, it was literal chaos. There was no command cell. There was no central organization. You had maybe 20 or 30 key people who were running around trying to find things. And so I was having Russ call me. I was having proxies call me between Sydney and myself because at the time I wouldn't talk to Sydney directly. Sydney had been working on Michael Flynn's case, and Michael Flynn had been subject to a FISA warrant. So I didn't know if Sydney was still under that type of an issue, and I didn't want to get uh, one degree se uh, separation sucked into a FISA warrant. So I had other people talk to her so I wouldn't get drug into that. When, when I did my affidavit, I, I talked about a unit in TRADOC, and that's where I put 305th MI. And I put that unit on there because I didn't want my active duty unit to get sucked into the insanity because my active duty unit that I deployed twice with, they're on a deployment rotation like every six months to somewhere in the world. They don't have time to deal with insanity. And so that was another reason why I just specified I had been assigned to 305th MI. 
because they didn't want my active duty unit to deal with crap. So that's why your affidavit states that you were an analyst with the 305th Military Intelligence Battalion, which led to Sidney Powell erroneously referring to you as a former military intelligence expert in legal filings. Now, that uh, that caused some controversy when your identity was exposed. Right. Which when I laid that out to the guy I talked to, he asked me, well, what units did you serve in? And I said, well, I'm not going to specify my active duty unit. So I told him my trade document. And he said, well, what's the, what was the job I went for? It was 98 Juliet, which was electronic intelligence analyst. It was looking at binary signals from a radar to be able to tell if it's a SAM-2 or a SAM-5. And that's what the job was. Uh, but I went to the school and while I was there, the MOS went away. So to me, it was a benign statement that I didn't think would give away who I was but wouldn't cause such a stir. Granted, I didn't know that like a year or two after I left Fort Huachuca, Michael Flynn ended up being in charge of its parent unit. I had no idea on that because everyone was trying to say, oh, well, he's a Flynn junkie. No, I've never met Flynn. I've never talked to Flynn. A couple of times I've asked his brother, Joe, to talk to him, but like Joe being his gatekeeper, I've been kept away from Flynn. So it is what it is. Could you talk about Mike Lindell's Cyber Symposium, which took place last summer in South Dakota? This was a three-day event in which Lindell claimed he had PCAPs, or packet captures, that included evidence of foreign election interference. Lindell summoned several cyber experts to examine this evidence, including yourself, but the data he provided simply did not show what Lindell claimed it showed. What was your role in that? August 4th was when I got pulled in to be a red team member for Lindell to evaluate the information before it was presented to the symposium. So I was given an NDA that I wasn't supposed to talk about any of this. Um, And Colonel Waldron specified that I was supposed to be paid for my time. So we start looking at all of the information. And I want to make sure that I say, yes, I was supposed to be paid for that because I, I want people to at least know that was my purpose in going. Um, and the reason why I needed it was because my grandmother who passed away, my mom was in charge of her property. So I was going to the symposium to raise the money to pay for my grandma's taxes on her property so we could keep that. So that was my motivation and my thought process. Even though my wife, my wife was vehement against me going. She said, no, this is a setup. You're going to get screwed over, uh, which she's batting a thousand when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, so I, we look over the information days leading up to it. We were using element, uh, a chat app on Android to communicate with all of the, the red team members. So it was myself, Doug Logan was a member for the first two days. Uh, Conan was in the group. Conan, James Hayes was in the group code monkey, Mark cook, Sean Smith, who's a retired air force colonel from uh, pararescue. And then Lisa Draza and a couple of other people, we're all in this room in this element chat board. Conan's dropping files and information um, because Mark Cook had set up a uh, cloud drive. And that's where we were looking over the information. And days leading up to the symposium, we found that the information did not hold up to what Lindell claimed. And we had told Colonel Waldron that who was supposed to be the head of all of our red team. Uh, And then when we all went on the plane, because I got on the plane on August 9th to go to South Dakota, um, the days leading up to the symposium on the 10th and the morning of the 11th, 
we kept telling Lindell, hey, this information is not what is claimed. And he wouldn't have it. Even his own attorney told him, look, there's some problems here. Because he admitted to us that he had never seen that information. Uh, the only people who kept telling him that the information was legitimate was Conan, was uh, Flynn, was uh, Mary Fanning. Uh, and all of this had originated from Dennis Montgomery. And they were purposely trying to hide that. After it had flopped before, after the problems that had come up with the spreadsheet that Mary Fanning had posted, where everyone started looking and saying, hey, why are all the MAC addresses scrambled? that don't tie to any machines. All of the precursor information was showing not to be legitimate. So he just decided to hide that type of information from the public, but still talk about PCAPs. Um, so when we were looking at the information, there was no legitimate PCAPs. There was nothing that you know I could handle to hand to someone like Robert Graham or some of the other awesome cyber guys that were in there. And they could look at it and go, okay, this shows a sign for concern. And that's why I couldn't, you know, you can't stop fraud by then being involved in more fraud because all that's going to do is destroy what you're doing. And for me as a cyber guy, I, I like working in this realm. I've worked, you know, the first time I got busted for doing anything on a computer, I was seven and I hacked into a government computer. Now, granted, that's 1984. It was a lot easier back Um but I couldn't, especially because one day I'm working on trying to get my CISSP. Uh, you can't have an integrity violation and hold those type of uh, those type of credentials. So Waldron, about an hour into the beginning of the symposium, it was falling apart. All of the cyber experts that were in the room were ready to walk, uh, and Waldron sent me into that room to to placate them and keep them from leaving. Um, and so in the WAPO or in the Washington Times article from my comments, I had made a comment of I was trying to polish a turd into a diamond. And that's why I said that, because if we were handed something that we knew was BS. And now all of a sudden we we're receiving new information. Conan had been giving a hard drive to Lindell that had other factual PCAPs, uh, which I'll, I'll get into where that ties in. but. Uh, we had those PCAPs and other data that was coming in. And then we were getting the digital ISO images of the Dominion systems from Conan because Tina Peters had come in the night before. And so I, you know, split second decision said, okay, the only way we're going to save this, they're all telling me, oh, this is legitimate. They deleted info. The trusted build was clearing out all of the forensic data. So I said, okay, let's prove it. Because if we could prove it, then that would be an important piece. So I take it back to the cyber expert room. And I handed it specifically, the first guy I handed it to was Harry Hursty. And I said, hey, look over these in-case images, because supposedly they show that data was deleted. Um, so he started looking over it. And that's what I lifted and shifted everything towards to be able to, you know, we're, we've got a, two rooms full of cyber experts with like, $200,000 an hour of cyber capability. And I didn't want that to be lost. And all of the guys who were there, whether it was Robert Graham, Harry Hursty, um, uh, O'Donnell, a lot of the other guys that were there, yeah, I had cyber experts from the left, cyber experts from the right, all spectrums that were there just to honestly look at information. 
And so I felt an obligation to do the right thing and at least giving them something to work on instead of them getting mad. Cause if they had been mad and walked out on the first day, um, regardless of the situation, it would have left egg on the face of all of the, there, there are a lot of people in the background, a lot of honest citizens out there that say, Hey, we want our election system to be working correctly. And that's what I also felt the responsibility towards because I didn't want the symposium to ruin all the hard work that a bunch of citizens have been involved in. I want to uh, circle back a little bit to talk about Dennis Montgomery, because this is a very strange, mysterious figure who has been selling essentially, I mean, sometimes scams uh, straight straight to the federal government. Um, So I'm I'm curious how you found out that he was the one who provided this data, which which you say was just simply no good uh, to to Lindell. So the guy who brought the information to Lindell was Brandon House, H-O-W-S-E. Uh, very early on in December, Brandon brought the information having to do with scorecard to Lindell. They start presenting this information that Mary Fanning had created in an Excel spreadsheet called 6.5M, which supposedly so- shows all of the alterations within the election night reporting da- uh, data stream. And uh, Lindell, that was around the time Lindell was starting Frank's speech. Uh, he actually put Brandon House on as his main uh, anchor on that show. Um, they started pushing that information. Conan was dealing with Montgomery in Florida, which I found out at the symposium. Uh, Montgomery ended up getting a million and a half dollar house in Naples, Florida, that's under a family trust uh, from the money he had collected from Lindell. So it was very marketable and profitable for uh, Montgomery to be pushing all of this and the other people under him. Um, when we got the initial files, I saw there was a six, that 6.5 M Excel spreadsheet was included in everything. Uh, in the background while we're talking, we all knew already that it was Dennis Montgomery's information. Um, and I had talked to a couple of the guys in the red team and said, y'all all know Dennis Montgomery's a fraud, right? Like I've read all the stuff from Abram Rostin, from Kurt Weeb, from all the guys who have cataloged uh, Dennis Montgomery. And I had raised concerns about it before the symposium took place because we didn't know how bad the fraud really was. Now, since the symposium, I've actually found the software that was used to fabricate it. So not only was it... uh, not true it was fraud and fabricated data and that was the biggest thing i was worried about was that someone was fabricating information to push a narrative that if it ever did make it to the supreme court would end up getting slapped down and get slapped down so bad that anybody around it were going to end up being taken out as a casualty because i think the ultimate goal of it was to make Donald Trump actually look bad and keep him from being able to run again. I heard that because you decided to be honest about the worthlessness of Lindell's data at the cyber symposium. Mike Lindell is suing you through arbitration. Is that correct? Yeah, he is. Uh, He claims that I I violated his non-disclosure agreement, which in Texas, a non-disclosure agreement is required to also have an employee contract or a, a temp worker contract, and it did not. 
Uh, Waldron enticed me to going by claiming they were going to pay me $30,000 for a week's worth of work, of which did not happen. Um, so the day after Lindell went on Frank's speech and spent two hours bashing me, he called me a traitor. He said that if China uh, defeated America, it would be my fault. Um, he uh, slandered my wife because of a conversation we had with Pete Santilli. You know, I talked to Pete because he was a friend of mine. The Friday after I get back to the symposium, I'm on the phone with him. And I talked about some of the stuff that was going on because I didn't tell him anything while I was at the symposium and Pete was there. So what Pete does is he takes and records my phone conversation and then gives it to Lindell. And in it, because I was pissed, Friday morning, I'm supposed to be coming home. Waldron uh, tells me, okay, uh, my Ron time was 4.30, so I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning. We were going to fly on Lindell's plane back to Addison, Texas at the ASOG office. And then at 3.30, Waldron says, oh, you've been bumped off of the flight because we're flying Tina Peters to Dallas. And so I had to catch a commercial plane. So I was sort of grumpy on Friday because I got bumped at the last minute so they could move what now came out to be a fugitive. to hide her in Texas. Uh, so, and, and then Lindell got mad because I disclosed a lot of this, uh, disclosed the dishonesty that was going on backstage. He knowingly frauded the cyber experts that were there by saying there was a $5 million reward to prove that his information was wrong. But he knew that no one would be able to win it because while we're in the red team room, he checked with his lawyer to make sure that it was worded so that nobody could win. So, yeah, he decided to to now go after me in arbitration. And I'm putting out to their lawyers that the arbitration is not valid because the NDA is not valid. You can't have an NDA to uphold fraud. I also I have to ask about the famous uh, PowerPoint presentation that was suddenly that was recently in the news in a big, big way. That PowerPoint mentions ASOG and was reportedly distributed to members of Congress in the White House by Phil Waldron. Trapezoid of Discovery found a version of that PowerPoint that had a hidden logo for something called Kraken Intel, and there was also a hidden image of two silver bars. So do you have any theories or clues about how this PowerPoint came together? Well, Tor, Tori already came out and said she was she was the Kraken. She admitted Kraken Intel and the captain's bars that are on there are also lieutenant's bars in the Navy. And she claimed to be a lieutenant in the Navy. So within 90 percent certainty, I would say Tor in her circles, which Tor is working directly for Patrick Byrne. Patrick Byrne, initially in the midterms, he was funding us at ASOG for voter fraud investigation. So Byrne had involvement very early on, and then he's the one, and Tor was involved in the midterms as well. When we were in Kentucky on the Matt Bevan case, I was dealing with Tor back then. And uh, so I know that she's the one who has involvement in at least a couple of the panels. A couple of the panels are mine, although they misrepresented the information where they're talking about files that were found on, uh, they call it dark web, on Tor. And so what was happening was Russ in the background is getting information from me. He didn't understand the information. 
he's passing it up because Waldron has been working for Russ the whole time because a former employee of ASOG brought Waldron into the mix in this. A gentleman by the name of Jason Alpers, who served with Waldron in Afghanistan. Alpers was psychological operations. Uh, Waldron had involvement with psychological operations. And that's how Waldron got brought to Russ, was through Jason Alpers. So all of this information is getting sent up. Hardly anybody understood my information, you know, I, because it was me and I had a team of three guys that were helping me from all over the, the globe who were helping me uh, pull information since the midterms. And so I'm passing this information up and they all cre- created that, uh, that PowerPoint from everybody's different pieces of information that was coming in. Uh, and it's funny because I heard that Meadows was in that briefing and it was Meadows who turned that over to the January 6th commission. And it was the 6th commission who leaked that out. Met, prior to January or de, prior even to December, Meadows never wanted to hear a briefing. We were in D.C. Uh, after the midterms and I met with Meadows. Uh, he even I didn't find this out until the other day. But he had bought some software from ASOG, uh, uh, a secure communications app called Silent Circle. But he paid for it with campaign money. I just found that out, too. Um, And then he bought a device that I use called a DAUTH card. Um, It's an ESP8266 card that you can put scripts on it, and it kicks anybody off of Wi-Fi that's not on 8211N. It deauthenticates people. Um, and he wanted it. So, you know, ASOG bought it. Um, and Russ, I believe, is the one who got the money from Meadows on that. Uh, so Meadows didn't want to hear any of the, the election fraud investigations at midterms or after. Neither did Ted Cruz. Because uh, Russ and another employee, James Keith Lewis, were trying to push to get to brief Ted Cruz, and he wouldn't hear it. So what do you think changed and made Meadows more open to the kind of election fraud claims that uh, Phil Waldron was uh, pitching in that uh, PowerPoint presentation? So like I said, my, my point whenever I put out my affidavits was to enact Executive Order 13848. Uh, which was something that Trump had put in after the midterms, which had to do with uh, foreign interference into the elections. And I believe after my information had been put in, it was presented as such to enact that executive order. And that's why Navarro and Pompeo would later put out their reports, because that was a requirement. Um So I believe since Meadows was Trump's chief of staff, he sort of had to get a feel of what info was known. Because, you know, at the time, they're they're attempting to get Pence to bring in the alternative electors. So I believe they're trying to show Meadows so he had an understanding to be able to get Pence to be able to do that lift and shift. But I don't think Pence was ever willing to do that to begin with. As much as everyone thought it, Pence was not as pro-Trump as everyone thought he was. Going back to 2017, him and Paul Ryan were actively working on a plan to get rid of Donald Trump. 
because I know one of the guys who was in the room when they had that meeting. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Joshua. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. Okay, that was uh, fascinating stuff. I obviously can't verify how much of it is true, but it's certainly uh, fascinating stuff. To get another perspective on the Stop the Steal efforts over the past year, uh, I'm speaking to Trapezoid of Discovery, who's also known as Get underscore Innocuous on Twitter. Trapezoid, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. Yeah, really, uh, really fascinating research that you've been doing and publishing on Twitter. So uh, we've talked a bit about ASOG in this episode. We interviewed Joshua Merritt. So how did ASOG first get on your radar in your research? Yeah, so I first really took note of ASOG through Russ Russ Ramsland's affidavits, uh, which had made the news specifically after he mixed up. Uh, I think it was Minnesota and Michigan. Uh, he had mixed up the state abbreviations and uh, drew some like insane conclusion from some math he did based off that, which he probably didn't do that math to begin with. Uh, and you know that kind of made uh, made the news in an egg on your egg on your face type way. Uh, so like I, I took note of it there. Um, didn't really pay a ton of attention uh, until I noticed that there was a team in Antrim, Michigan. Uh, from a company called ASOG uh, that seemed to be positioned to do some forensic work. And that's when it, it really registered that, you know, maybe I should look closer at them. Yeah, that was, um, that was a really fascinating story. I was, I was really wondering, how is it that you work, supposedly work on election fraud issues for years, but can't do sort of basic, uh, you know, uh, quantitative analysis of like, you know, voter tallies and stuff. It's such a basic, basic error for someone who's supposed to be an expert. Yeah, the, there, there was the math aspect, which, you know, I'm, I'm not by any means great at math. So I, I kind of glossed over that in a lot of his affidavits, but, uh, and, and then honed in on the technical aspects and specifically like the information security aspects of it. And, and and those were what really started to set off a lot of red flags, uh, specifically around like QSnatch, which we'll probably get into later. But uh, it, basically, it was just full of uh, uh, either intentionally misrepresented data or data that was put together through incompetence. I haven't figured out which it is yet. That is really the eternal question. Uh, yeah, malice or stupidity is never, never an easy uh, thing to uh, pick apart. So yeah, you've been digging into like stop the steal efforts and campaigns for, you know, pretty heavily for the past year. And one of the most fascinating things that you uncovered was the true identity of We Have Risen, who is this QAnon promoter on Twitter, who turned out to be uh, an ex-pro surfer and entrepreneur named uh, Conan Hayes. So how did you go about discovering this weird Twitter account and Conan Hayes? Yeah, so it's kind of a wild story that that took, I think, probably almost six months, maybe five months before I, I really was sure of, of who it was on the other side of that account. Uh, I first noticed their account after, you know, following Ron Watkins throughout 2020. Uh, he started to pivot from COVID uh, denialism and, and disinformation into Stop the Steal stuff. And uh, I had noticed that, you know, one of the accounts he had retweeted a few times was We Have Risen. And that specifically caught my eye again because of you know some of the the bad information security takes that were on that account. Um, again, didn't really pay a lot of attention uh, to that account specifically until the Ramsland affidavits. Uh, specifically, I noticed that Ramsland included a screenshot that I I remembered seeing on Conan's account. Uh, so that that set off a light bulb for me. It was it was specifically again around Q Snatch, and uh, my my thought at the time was. Okay, Ramsland's 
like just ripping off data from random Twitter users and, and throwing it in his affidavits. I, I did not think that they he was like actually working for ASOG. I just had a quick question, like how did you get into this stuff and uh, into um you know uh, you were mentioning the bad takes on that account? Like how how did you get into all of this research? Yeah, so. I've been in information security for like 15 years. Uh, was you know luckily able to to get a low-paying infosec job uh, right outside of high school and and have been kind of immersed in it for a while. Uh, I've I've done different things within the the field since that's kind of a, a broad title, uh, but specifically for a few years did network uh, intrusion analysis and, and mobile malware reverse engineering. Uh, and uh, you know through the the summer of 2020, I think like a lot of people. Uh, I found myself bored and on Twitter <laughs> and uh, was like, I'm going to search for, for COVID and see what dumb things people are saying. I did not expect to see people actually talking about dumbs as in like the deep underground military bunkers. And right. uh, I, I had known about QAnon, thought that kind of faded out. Uh, it turns out it was like thriving uh, and, you know, started kind of following a lot of the, the QAnon researchers, found you guys, found Poker Politics, uh, Dapper Gander. Uh, uh, Sarah Hightower, like all of these uh, incredible people, I I didn't really have a lot to contribute to to that specific field because you know you guys had had it covered really well. Uh, so when I saw that uh, the election fraud uh, claims were really in, intersecting with information security, I was like, here's my moment, <laughs> I can shine. Nice. Cool. Uh, but yeah, so um, once I noticed the uh, screenshot was was essentially taken straight from Conan's account. Uh, I, I started digging into it more and uh, noticed that uh, it was either in another Ramsland affidavit or uh, in the one of the filings for the Antrim case that actually got them the court order. There was a preliminary report dated November 29th from Antrim, Michigan, uh, where they had you know shown some images of like voter rolls on, on the ground and things like that. I had also at the time been digging through uh, we have risen slash Conan's account pretty extensively trying to find the source of the Q snatch picture that I had seen uh, and happened to notice on November 27th, he was posting pictures of what seemed to be voting equipment and also voter rolls laid out on carpet. And so I looked closer at the carpet and the uh, court docs and noticed that it was the same shade and, and kind of like pattern as the carpet that Conan had been posting uh, looked more at the pictures because there there was an entire thread of them. Uh, Notice he had posted a picture of a private jet where you could see the the Antrim Airport sign, uh, and then you know he had posted a picture of um, like them landing, and there's actually a very distinct lake that you can see on Google Maps that matched the the same shape. Uh, and so I was like, okay, this this guy was in Antrim. Yeah, that's wow. that's that's amazing. That's that's like like beyond me when you start doing like like Google Map matching. Uh, I also want to touch on the uh, the PowerPoint presentation that outlined basically you know coup strategies. Uh, that was that was uh, presented by uh, ASOG, uh, sort of uh, I guess associate Phil Waldron, and uh, was uh, circulated in the White House and Congress. Now that that PowerPoint presentation, it does actually specifically mention ASOG on one of the slides. But um, is there is there anything else like about it that was like all oh th this this information just came from this this group of people is very distinctive. Yeah, it's a. I guess to continue on the, the Conan track, since I had been paying attention to what they were posting pretty heavily at the time, uh, the, the four or so slides, I think, that have uh, like the charts with the uh, uh, 
supposedly election spikes that were created from the Edison New York Times data that was scraped. Uh, I had recognized those from Conan's feed. Uh, he had posted them. I found out recently I was able to go back and, and find them, uh, like November 24th. Uh, and then the the mention of Q-Snatch in general, again, was, was something Conan had, had talked about a lot. And uh, then the block diagram slide that, you know, looked really complex, but literally it, it doesn't really say anything without additional context. And even with additional context, like it's, it's wrong. Uh, uh, all of those things were, were images and, and slides that I had noticed uh, towards the end of 2020. Um, so when I saw that, I was pretty certain it was, it's all I got to have a hand in it. Yeah, so let's 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 talk about QStash because that PowerPoint it, it includes one particularly batshit slide titled "Where and How It's Done: High-Level View of Voting System and Networks," and includes a bewildering diagram and the phrase "Changes in cloud can be uploaded backwards because of a harvester called QStash grabs all counties' credentials." So we explain what exactly is QStash about. So QStash is real malware. Uh, it's called QSnatch because it, it targeted uh, this company that makes network attached storage devices called QNAP. And essentially, you know, uh, they're, they're kind of like Internet of Things uh, devices where they don't tend to get patched very frequently. The, the security practices when they're deployed or installed tend to be pretty lax. Uh, and so QSnatch was uh, a, a worm that would crawl the Internet looking for QNAP devices uh, because there was a, a remote code execution vulnerability that would allow them to essentially automatically infect the devices, harvest credentials, do some of the, the things that uh, the PowerPoint claims. And I was actually able to uh, match up a lot of those bullet points to an official CISA. The, uh, I always forget what the ac acronym actually is, but essentially the, the U.S. Cybersecurity Agency uh, advisory on QSnatch. Uh, so like they're the first three or four are basically copy-pasted directly out of a CISA advisory. Uh, then they, they tacked on some additional color, you know, I, I guess to kind of prove their point. But the, the main thing that, you know, got my attention is like, this was malware specifically targeting uh, these QNAP network attached storage devices. They, it was not just crawling websites randomly and, and able to magically infect them somehow. Uh, so the, the idea that there is some like central vote tallying system that, was exposed that somehow QSnatch was able to, uh, in fact, is just like, it, it, it doesn't make any sense, really. You know, one thing I want to touch on is, um, I guess this is an eternal problem in talking about, uh, like, debunking, but, but it's like, I think it, it's uh, even more troublesome when we're talking about debunking technical things, which it always takes um, way more effort to, like, unpack a lie than it is to, like, make a lie. Like, like especially, like, um, like these sorts of things, like the, like the diagrams and stuff. And some of this information is, like, you know, um, it, talking about is is uh beyond me in a in a in a technical way whatever like all I don't know maybe so so is that, I mean what do we do about this problem where where basically people can sort of like spin up these massive um you know these massive lies and uh it takes like you know there are maybe you know uh only a handful of people in the country who really have the technical knowledge to really take the time to explain and unpack why it's wrong yeah uh, I mean I think we need to kind of step back and approach it from the perspective of like media literacy and, and internet literacy and, and being able to uh, discern, uh, I guess saying fact from fiction kind of seems like it's still just 
we'd end up in the same spot. But uh, it, I mean, it, it gets tricky because obviously, you know, cybersecurity is incredibly complex and you can't educate everyone in the world to a degree where they understand and they can start to pick the stuff apart. Uh, so I, I think really uh, teaching people to think critically and, and helping them understand, uh, you know, the, the sources they're getting their information from and, and having some level of, of skepticism when they approach that would be like the ideal state. But on the flip side, I, I think we're kind of beyond that in a weird way because of, you know, the, the deplatforming on Twitter, which helped keep a lot of that off Twitter, just pushed them into Telegram and uh, Gab and, and spaces that are a little bit harder to monitor and, and harder to moderate. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the problem becomes... Uh, more siloed and I think harder to tackle in that perspective. So um, and another impressive feat of research, you uncovered an editable version of that PowerPoint. Um, and in that version, uh, you discovered that there was a hidden logo for something called Kraken Intel. And there's a little, you know, illustration of a Kraken. And uh, it also included an image of like two silver bars. Now, Joshua Merritt tells me that um, because of this, uh, he was pretty convinced that this was evidence that uh, that Torre was uh, uniquely responsible for putting together the PowerPoint. So I mean, would you would you agree with that analysis? Do you have any theories about like how this PowerPoint uh, came together? Who exactly is responsible for it? Yeah, I, I have some like rampant speculation, but nothing that I've been able to uh, nail down, you know, in, in any way that I'd, I'd be willing to, to commit <laughs> or put any money on. Uh, I think Tori is definitely a, a good candidate. She, for a while, uh, was kind of portraying herself as reaching the, the rank of lieutenant in the Navy. Uh, their insignia is also, that's the O3 officer rank. Uh, they use the same insignia. Um, another name I've seen floated around is Captain Seth Keschel. Uh, same thing, also officer rank, so, or O3, uh, so also the same insignia. Uh, and it's known, uh, especially, you know, today Reuters dropped that great article talking about, uh, Flynn, Keschel, uh, Waldron and, um, Ivan Ralkin, Rakin, uh, you know, four former military guys that have gone out there and really perpetuated all of these stop the still claims. Uh, Keschel was confirmed in that article to be, uh, at Linwood's ranch with Mike Flynn, uh, Linwood, Doug Logan, kind of working on, on all this stuff to feed information to Sidney Powell and Linwood. So, I think definitely, uh, you know, Cashel could have been involved. It, it could be Torrey and Cashel. It, it, you know, there's there's a lot of different players that, that it, it could kind of map to. I, I think there's definitely at least a handful of people, though, that Kraken Intel is and, and not just one specific person. That, that's my guess. Oh, great. So you've brought us another cue. <laughs> just <laughs> <Right>. fantastic. <laughs> no, no. Just leading questions and do your own research. Connect the dots. Now, one strange thing is like you, the place that you found this PowerPoint was a Spanish language website. Um, Apparently, do you have any clue how it might have wound up there? I haven't dug into that site specifically a ton. It it does look like it's a Spanish language uh, conservative organization uh, of some kind. And and, and Spanish as in like they're based in Spain. Uh, And... That particular post was about uh, Jovan Pulitzer uh, posting the slide deck, the the coup slide deck, um, on his MeWe uh, account. And I think he had also posted on, on Telegram at around the same time, uh, January 12th. Um, so the, the article was covering that uh, post. Uh, and, and they have similar articles around the same time. 
uh, covering other soft to steel antics, and then they get into some other really like fringy stuff that you you typically see adjacent to to this kind of uh, news or or whatever you call it. Do you, do you ever get depressed that we you know in our kind of work we have to say sentences like he published the coup deck to his miwi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that we might be in the dumbest historical moment. That honestly. Historians shouldn't even bother. Just put a big, like, paste over the pages for these years. Just glue them together. Just glue them. So it's just one big, thick page. Absolutely. Jake will come over and glue those pages together for you, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. I set myself up for that. Yeah, I'm glad I've already gotten over my existential crisis, because if I was at the point now where I'm trying to figure out what the point of everything is, uh, you know, (laughs) who knows how that would have ended. Oh, man. I feel for all the Zoomers, you're right. Yeah. Now, you've described the uh, the forensic audits that are going on as a constant shifting of goalposts and straw grasping. So what do you mean by that? Yeah. So it's been interesting watching that unfold. Uh, I'd say like the first goalpost was, uh, you know, let's get these forensic audits going because they're going to to be the hammer that, that drops in and puts Trump back on, in office. And so uh, we've seen these... Uh, efforts kind of spread up across the country to get forensic audits going. And Arizona is, of course, uniquely positioned with their uh, Senate and people like Sonny Borelli, Wendy Rogers, uh, Mark Fincham uh, to kind of get these things started. So it it happened to take place starting in, in Arizona. And, and the goal was like, let's look at the machines. Let, let's look at the ballots. Uh, we're going to find that the machines were totally compromised. We're going to find that the ballots are all, you know, fake bamboo paper. Uh, and then the Arizona audit kind of like came and went. And uh, it, it seems like a lot of Arizona natives were really paying close attention to it. But, uh, you know, it, it didn't deliver the storm that everyone was expecting. And so, you know, from there it became kind of shifting the goalposts to, okay, well, we can't really detect the fraud because the machines, you know, maybe they were compromised, maybe they weren't, but the ballots, uh, and the ballots are real, but the ballots came from phantom voters, you know, so they, that's the the whole effort to do uh, citizen canvases across the country, because the idea is that uh, there's all of these ballots being sent in from like frat houses for uh, frat brothers that never actually voted, uh, things like that. So, you know, that that was kind of shifting it further. And their whole idea was like, these are ballots for people that uh, exist, or sorry, that, that don't exist. Uh, and then the, the latest shifting that I've seen is uh, that, okay, no, no, no. The, the ballots are for people that exist, but the Democrats have figured out an algorithm that can predict when uh, people aren't going to vote. Uh, so they will send in legitimate ballots on behalf of those people because they, they know they're not going to send in ballots themselves. Uh, and, you know, then you get, then, then for me, I think the, the canvases take on a, a new darker turn because you have people then that are going to show up at your house and say, like, you know, does, does so-and-so live here or how many people live here? But now it's going to be how many people live here and did you actually cast this vote? So now they're like questioning whether the the legitimacy of your vote, uh, you know, being cast is is real. And uh, I, I feel like that's really kind of veering into voter intimidation territory. Although it does seem like so far the the canvases have been, you know, they they are legal, 
uh, for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This was recently reported by uh, Sarah Mims for BuzzFeed recently and others. But uh, there's yeah, there's a movement now for for uh, pro-Trump people who are very convinced of election fraud to go door to door and ask people about you know whether or not they voted and um, they they because they think that for some reason this will help uncover the fraud that they are certain is there. That it's like it's like it's like an article of faith where it's like all well, you know, failure to um, uncover the evidence um, is not does not mean that they were mistaken. It was simply a, you know a failure to uncover the evidence that is real, even though it happened. So it's like you know it's like like someone convinced that like you know there's like a pot of gold you know in an, uh, somewhere in island, so they'll just keep digging everywhere and they'll they won't stop until they they find it or exhaust themselves. So yeah, it is frustrating because now they're like you know these people who are these election fraud truthers. They're like you know they're going out to the real world and they're trying to interact with like real people and. Um, uh, yeah, I think we're you're right. It's it's legal. Um, it's not it's not the, uh, there hasn't been any reports that I've heard of these canvases turning uh, violent or anything like that. But like the but the fact that they're out and interacting with people with the conviction that the election was stolen, I don't know. It, it starts to uh, point in the direction of dangerous territory. Yeah, and and the one organization in particular, uh, USIP or USEIP, which is uh, the U.S. Election Integrity Plan her project, they kind of switch what the P stands for, uh, depending on the documentation. Uh, the, I think it was the Colorado times recorder, uh, posted an article they had obtained internal chat logs where, uh, people were talking about, you know, being armed before they went out on canvases for their own safety. They've also posted about making their own badges, things like that. So they're, they're kind of showing up, uh, in this law enforcement esque capacity or, or giving that impression off at least. And, you know, the, the idea of someone armed coming to my door and uh, giving me a hard time because they think that I didn't actually send in the ballot I sent in, but it was some Democrat-driven Soros algorithm is uh, kind of a nightmare scenario. Sure is. Um, so any uh, open source uh, investigation tips for budding uh, researchers out there? Yeah. Uh like weirdly, I find most of my stuff on Google. <laughs> like, uh, just like the way I found the um, actual editable PowerPoint was taking uh, snippets of phrases from the PDF, putting them in quotes, and searching that on Google. Uh, so I think the the one that found the one on the Spanish language site was uh, like because of Q Snatch, because again, Q Snatch is gonna haunt me. Uh, you know, and then using search operators like the the site colon. Uh, in URL colon there, if you, if you search for Google dorks, which is a, a kind of an OSN way of referring to them, you'll find a, a whole ton of t- different tips. Uh, I've also found that, that Google is getting, uh, for better or worse, more aggressive with, uh, their algorithm and how it ranks, uh, content that may be misinformation, which is like great for accidentally stumbling or for preventing people from accidentally stumbling on things that, that may take them down a, a dark path. But when you're actually trying to seek this stuff out, it can be a little tricky. So I, I've been going back and forth between Google and DuckDuckGo. Um, other than that, you know, documentcloud.org, uh, a lot of news organizations and uh, other investigative publications have been uploading a ton of documents there, a lot of court documents. So uh, I've done a, a lot of searching there. That's where American Oversight has been putting all of the Arizona uh, text messages, emails, audit communications that they've obtained. So 
you can typically find a, a lot of information there as well. Fascinating stuff. Um, you guys have any further questions? One question I had was, you know, there, there, there are two separate claims here, obviously, that there was manipulation in the election data and that um, there are vulnerabilities in the election system. Uh, how would you help people kind of differentiate those and ascertain whether one is a real danger and the other one is, you know, potentially, obviously, you know, based on uh, kind of data that, that was faulty to begin with? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, great question. Uh, like, one thing to, to fully acknowledge is that, uh, you know, there are almost certain, I mean, not almost, there are vulnerabilities in these voting machines. They're computers. There's, there's vulnerabilities in, in every single computer, uh, no matter how big or small. Uh, so to, to pretend like there's not is a mistake uh, and is you know, definitely going to uh, turn people who think otherwise away. And then to kind of uh, pretend like Democrats hadn't been ringing the alarm bells about this for a while and, and voting integrity experts haven't been talking about this for a while uh, I think also is a mistake. So, uh, you know, acknowledging that there are weaknesses in the systems uh, is helpful, but then also understanding that, uh, you know, a weakness can exist and, and not be exploited. Uh, you know, if you leave your door unlocked, uh, you can't just then call the cops and say that your neighbor broke into your house. You have to have some type of evidence that that happened. And so far, we haven't seen any of that evidence. Uh, so that, there, there's that one side of it. Uh, and then as far as the data, you know, that one definitely gets trickier to dissect because you have people like Doug Frank, Seth Cashel putting together uh, these charts with, you know, all sorts of really scary looking trend lines that make it seem like, you know, thousands of dead voters sprung up and, and started casting Biden ballots. Uh, and I think there, you know, it's really just kind of uh, teasing out where the data came from and, uh, you know, trying to get some transparency into, uh, you know, the the algorithms or calculations or whatever it was that they ran to, to end up with that data, try and reproduce it yourself, make sure you understand what it actually is. Uh, because I think a lot of the time, uh, you know, the, the same way people are doing it with information security, uh, they're doing it with uh, the, the, ma the math figures and, you know, just saying like, people aren't going to be able to, to dissect whether or not these numbers make sense. So we'll just put them together and, and throw them out there and, and people are going to take it for what it is. Do you think that maybe networks are not right for voting and we should go back to, you know, paper ballots and that kind of thing? Or I mean, there's definitely, and th this is an, another issue, is like there's networked machines and then there's machines connected to the internet. And, and there's a big difference there. So, um, you know, you can have networks of machines in a local area network that are not connected to Wi-Fi, that are not connected directly to the internet, that, uh, you know, aren't connected elsewhere in a local county intranet that you could maybe compromise a, a machine for uh, a clerk and then pivot to the election systems. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a, a decent mitigation. And that's kind of actually what we saw uh, in Lake County recently. There's been news about um, some, uh, like a potential network compromise that happened and it turned out someone uh, was in Lake County and recorded packet capture data that was released through the cyber symposium, uh, but they weren't able to actually record uh, voting machine traffic because the the network was segmented such that they, they couldn't access that. Uh, coincidentally, you know, it, it really seems like the person that did that was Conan Hayes. And then he hopped on a surfboard <laughs> yeah. yes. and rode off, rode off, got some fish tacos, 
Yeah. Hung out with his bros. It turns out when it comes to surfing the internet, we should have looking at people. We should have <laughs> been looking at people surf. surfing the waves. Right. Yeah. Because they learned it. Yeah. I can't believe we didn't make that connection in, so all of, in all of these years. I mean, the only other surfer connection we've had so far on this show was the guy who, you know, basically murdered his children. So, you know, surfers obviously very sus right now. They are. Especially like, <laughs> like what kind of surfer... What kind of surfer says, like, you know, what I want to do is, like, I want to go to Michigan in January. Yeah. <laughs> I would like these election uh, results to hang loose. Yeah. <laughs> this is all such a mess because there are so many people out in the world, you know, such as such as myself, who are desperately looking at this data. We want to see what the data means, but we understand nothing about <laughs> even how the internet... Well, I couldn't... If you held a gun to my head and you were like... <laughs> How does the internet work? I would be like, it's <laughs> fucking magic. Like, I don't know. I plug I plug this shit into the back of my rig and I talk to and I talk to my friends. I go, yeah. I hunt zombies online. Um, so it's you know, it's even scarier, I think, on on some degree, you know, that there are people who have a lot of money who are connected to you know, connected to people within power, connected to people um who uh, can uh, you know, they've got fuck you money if they want to start a, a a security firm, they can you know, they've got co contributor money. If they're a contributor, they have the ear of the people they contributed to. So when they fucking get pissed off at their TV, they can do a lot more than us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like it is this. I, 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 I just based based on these these two interviews with with uh, both yourself and and Joshua, it's just like I get the sense that it's just like everybody is out here LARPing, but it's but also for real. Like they're they're they are doing real things that have real world impact, and it's oh, it's just such a mess. Like I don't even know where. Like I don't even know how we begin to you know, begin to really solve this because it was like you were saying earlier, you know, people can look at this, you know, they can look at the data, know that it's totally bullshit or not understand it and just go like, well, this kind of lines up with like what I think anyway. So like might as well be true. I'm going to move forward as if it's true, because what do I have to lose? You know, what do I, I you know, it's, it's just like, yeah, I, I went on a tangent recently. Uh, something that struck me as a, a weird parallel recently was uh, how some of this stuff kind of resembles uh, tech support scams. Uh, like I've had, uh, you know, my, my wife's grandmother, uh, actually two of them, uh, end up falling for that because they, they get these phone calls from people who sound very convincing. They have you go on your computer, you open up the command line, they ask you to type in like NetSnat or some completely innocuous tool. Uh, it pulls up all of this data that looks very scary, and they're like, "Oh, your your firewall's at twenty percent. Like you're you're completely screwed. The hackers are in there, uh, and then they they bamboozle them out of like hundreds of dollars and get them on mm -hmm. these support plans and uh, convince them to give them access to their computers. And it's it's kind of the same thing, you know, in the context of like the the coup PowerPoint, uh, but worse because when you have uh, a respected military colonel like Phil Waldron uh, walking into uh, Capitol Hill uh, with the ear of lawmakers that want to believe that there was voter fraud and are already like halfway there. Like the, the bar is so low for just saying, for convincing them uh, and, and using totally made up data to, to do it, that something nefarious happened. Like it, all the hard work of a tech support scam is done by the time that uh, you know, they even start talking. So from there, it's right. just like, uh, put some, and that's probably, that's in my it's opinion, finding a mark. Uh, one of the reasons that PowerPoint was so low effort, like it, 
looked terrible. Like it was just, yeah. it was a mess. And, that, and well, that's had, what's like, so funny is like at this point, if you can do social engineering with Web 3.0, like you're going to make Kevin Mitnick blush. You know, he could only wish to have the circumstances <laughs> like these. Yeah, you know, yeah, we decided to uh, allow these machines to control and sort of document every area of our lives. But the machines are outside of the realm of understanding of like most people now. <laughs> yeah. And so yep. that allows that allows like anyone to come up and like tell me, it's like, oh, y- your machines are running wrong and they're making everything break. And I'm like, oh, baby, I don't know. So we're all we're all we're all sort of, you know, in this weird limbo place where like the the way everything functions is just a total black box. And if someone we can sort of allow anyone to come up and tell me a story about like how um you know the the society functions is breaking or on a break or it's vulnerable or whatever and you no know, I can't I can't say they're wrong I don't know yeah it's like when you go to the car mechanic and <laughs> and the guy's like he's like oh yeah your uh yeah your belt is is a little bit frayed but you know it's 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 not bad yet like you could probably wait like another six months but that's something that you like you want to uh you know that's something that you would want to fix and then you go to a different car mechanic who's maybe like a little bit more desperate and like you you kind of look like a dummy and they're like oh they're like you need to replace this like yesterday like here's what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna get you uh it's a five hundred dollar we're gonna do this and and you need a new oil filter and all of this stuff and it's just like it's the same thing with like data because there's only a, a a certain amount of people who can look at data and know exactly what it means know exactly what the parameters were well if in six months jake's belt uh gives out we know which one he listened to <laughs> <laughs> hey man no 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 you can't play me like that i'm very on top of karma i blew up a super i blew up a subaru once i had a subaru that i inherited from my from my mom yeah. and um i didn't know that you i was a new new ish car owner i did not know <laughs> the frequency uh, at which you were supposed to replace the oil uh so i was like driving back from a wedding in santa barbara and the car blew up uh on the freeway and i was like oh no what what i was like surely this will be fixable and the triple a guy like opened the hood and he was like well time for a new engine and i was like <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> uh, thanks so much uh, trapezoid for all of your insights yeah, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, really fascinating stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having and me. And where can people follow you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter at get underscore innocuous. Uh, I have a Substack that I hyped up for like two weeks and then contributed two articles to and then not touched since uh, at trapezoid.news. Okay. Um, really selling it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Keep your eye because he might go back to that Substack. So you should go there and check it yeah, out. He might go back. You better, yeah, check it out, you know? If they, if it says three, that's that's one more. Just be there. <laughs> be there in case something happens. Potentially good content in the future. No promises. Check out his Substack. Definitely check out his Twitter and uh, Substack. Yeah. <laughs> you, you never know. Yeah. Great research. Keep it up. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for five bucks a month to get a whole second episode every week, plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. There are now 152 of them, so lots of content there. When you subscribe, you help us stay advertising free and editorially independent. For everything else, there's QAnonAnonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you. And keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue.
is un-American. The children are the future. Who do you think you are? That's not your house. That's the people's house. We are in a spiritual battle for the survival of the Republic as our founding fathers envisioned. America remains the greatest nation the world has ever seen. It is up to us to maintain it. This is the greatest nation on God's earth. If you give up on this, the greatest experiment in democracy, you don't deserve to call yourself an American. Incredible sight.